This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Here we go! Listening to the Emerald Flow Show on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Welcome to the third episode of the Emerald Flow Show. I'm Gerard DeTroleo here with Paul Vosch, and we're part of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Uh, we're on Twitter at Emerald Flow Show, and you can get us on most major uh, podcasting services, with the exception of Amazon. Uh, we're working on that, having some errors getting on there. So you can follow us there. And if you are uh, use Apple Music, uh, go to the podcast section, uh, give us a follow, and give us a five-star rating. Paul, I don't know about you, but since last time we were here, I've watched a lot of wrestling, not just uh, from All Japan and Noah, but <laughs> literally it's seemingly everything. Yeah, no, like that. There's just been a ton of stuff going on. Like especially today, there was just an absurd amount of wrestling shows going on. Like I think, like no, I think the G-Rex, no, the G-Rex finals were yesterday. But then you had like Dragon Gate going on as Noah was happening as well. So just a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, and so we have a ton to talk about today. So we're just gonna dive right into All Japan's big show at Corican Hall. They drew uh, 794 fans, which was their biggest number in Corican since the pandemic started. And I think one of the biggest Corican numbers for anyone since the pandemic started. And as we'll see later, they drew 151 more fans than Noah did for their big show in Nagoya. So I have to say, Abdullah Kobayashi is a bigger draw than Kazuyuki Fujita, and that's now confirmed. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's uh, it wasn't just all Japan that drew really well. It's actually uh, big Japan drew like 400 people in Shinkiba on the same day as well. And I think that might have something to do with the fact that it was the emperor's birthday today. So I think that probably drew in a bunch of people into Tokyo that probably hadn't been there in the last two years and who were like, oh, there's some wrestling on. Let, let's go and watch the wrestling. So. But obviously, the main factor, obviously, was the massive draw of Abdullah Kobayashi. 
Yeah, they, everyone was leaving Nagoya to go to Tokyo, basically. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, if you've been in Nagoya, like if you've been in Nagoya for two years and you finally get the chance to go to Tokyo, like you're probably going to take that chance. Okay, so uh, going on with the All Japan show, uh, the first match of the show was sort of a dark match, and it um, went on 15 minutes before the show began, but it was um, Ryuki Honda defeating uh, Ryo Inoue in about four, four minutes with a lariat. Uh, I thought this was a pretty good little opener. Uh, told the story, a new in a way showing like a lot of heart for a someone who's only a few matches in, and Hana just sort of beat him up, finished him off with a lariat again, like he's defeated him with it before. Um, and this match sort of came about because Hokuto Omori and Yusuke Okama were pulled from the show as a precaution because they were in contact with someone that tested positive with COVID nineteen. And I thought that, um, yeah, uh, there's a nice little storyline you could do between these two of basically Honda being the big bully. Yep. Yeah, no, actually, and I like this match a lot as well. And I think Honda is really kind of starting to really adapt to this new hero that he's having as well, because he was kind of showing obviously like a lot of heelish tendencies before that. But I think now you can kind of see that he's starting to get it where he's not, he doesn't have to think about it anymore, where it's just kind of become natural for him. Uh, Jake Lee should take some notes. <laughs> yes, definitely. Um, so the second match and first official match of the show was Ryuji Hijikata and Dan Tamura defeating Takuho Kato and Kazumasu Yoshida of Big Japan in uh, 649 with uh, Tamura making Yoshida tap out to the Dan Lock, which is a modified... Um, Texas Cloverleaf hold. And this match was announced like the day before because of the previous uh, wrestlers that we mentioned got getting pulled from the show. Uh, I thought it was fine. I thought Kato looked pretty good. I know a lot of people, I'm not watching a lot of Big Japan these days, but I know that those that are still watching Big Japan uh, generally seem to talk him up. So I thought he looked good here. Dan gets a, a rare win. So I thought it was a decent enough opening. Yeah, no, I was definitely very happy to see Dan get a win. I mean, unlike other people that we're going to talk about in the second half of the show, Dan is still super young as well. Like, he's only, like, 22 or whatever. Like, I'll be worried if he's still, like, in this position in, like, six years. But I think for now it's fine for him to be in exactly this position. And, like, the more wins he can pick up, the better. Yeah, I thought Dan was really, like, the sort of, like, the standout of, like, him and Atsuki Aoyagi and Hokuto Omori early on, but I think the other two have sort of pulled ahead of him now just from in-ring work. Yeah, yeah. They, they kind of have. I mean, I, I think he's still, the, to me, he's the one that has like the most potential for in-ring work, but he has been kind of stuck in a rut, like in, in a weird way, kind of like Yusuke Okada was for a while there while he was in evolution. So really... Like, Kind of seems like being in evolution isn't really helping you all that much if you're the young boy. Because I'm trying to think like of all the previous young boys that evolution has ever had, like most of them have gotten better after they've left the uh, uh, faction. So maybe that should be Dan's next step. Yeah, uh, Neo and Omar was another one that was in evolution for a while and didn't do anything. Yeah, like he, he didn't become good until he, until he joined Next Dream. Yeah. So then we had uh, the team of Suji Ishikawa, Takao Mori, and Black Menso Ray defeating Yuma Aoyagi, Etsuki Aoyagi, and Rising Hayato of Next Stream in 902 when Ishikawa pinned Hayato with the Fire Thunder Driver. 
Uh, I thought this was a little slow to start, but I thought it really picked up at the end. Uh, Ishikawa worked really hard for an undercard six-man tag in this match, I thought. And his closing sequence where he sort of took on all three guys in next stream and then managed to get the win over Hayato was pretty good. And as we'll talk about later, uh, this clearly was setting something up. Yeah, no, absolutely. I was I was also really surprised because of, well, it's technically the second match on the show because the uh, Honda match was a dark match. So I didn't really go in with super high expectations, but I think one of the things that I noticed where immediately I was like, okay, something's up here was when I looked at Shuji Ishikawa because he was just in really great shape, which I think generally is a good indicator that there's something coming up for him uh, relatively soon. And then obviously it became even more clear as the match went on where it's like they're clearly building him up for something. Uh and the following match was, I guess you could argue, maybe the comedy match of the show. Uh, Kazuma Sakamoto, Takayuki Ueki, and Sego Tachibana defeated uh, Yoshitatsu Izanagi and uh, Devil Murasaki. And um, sorry, in 822 uh, with a schoolboy. And the reason that this sort of happened was <laughs> Balion Aki appeared out of nowhere, pulled the referee out of the ring. And he was wearing a referee, like, white and black striped shirt. And then he got in the ring and made a fast count when Sakamoto schoolboyed um, Yoshitatsu. And he it took a second, but the bell eventually rung after, like, Aki was yelling at them to do so. So I guess it's a, an official victory. Uh, this match actually, despite the really goofy finish, it wasn't bad. And I thought the sequences between Sakamoto and Yoshitatsu towards the end were uh, pretty decent. Yeah, I just have to say that there was really even more blatant cooperation between the Yakuza and the police uh, in this match uh, with Ueki and uh, Tachibana. So that's always very distressing to see uh, when those two come out in their outfits. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we'll see. I mean, it very much seems like this this feud is very much rooted in the undercard at the moment, which I'm perfectly fine with. Like. It's harmless fun, basically. Like I, I enjoyed those shenanigans, and as long as they kind of stay in this position of the card, and like I don't really mind it. I actually think it's funnier than most of the comedy that all Japan has been doing in uh, over like the recent months. So I, I definitely think it's kind of a nice change of pace as well. And we'll it's, see, like if maybe like something more serious comes for Kazma after he's done with this. Yeah, it's certainly funnier if you than what like Izanagi and Devil Murasaki have been doing in the past couple of months. <laughs> and they didn't do any of that BS here. I will say though, the way that this is set up is like Yoshitatsu's got to get a big win over Sakamoto, but I think that's a bad idea because I think you should be building Sakamoto up for something bigger. But we'll see. Yeah, I mean, it does very much feel like it, but I, I do kind of expect, and we're probably going to talk about this a bit later as well about, about our predictions for who's going to be in the champion carnival but i do expect both of them to be in there so i could definitely see like kazma being the one that wins the feud but then yoshitatsu yoshitatsu gets his win back uh in the champion carnival yeah that could be something they could do and i think that would probably be the better way of doing it honestly uh, then after that, we had some announcements although probably not the one some of the ones that you were expecting uh, first of all, Kenzo 
uh, <laughs> aka Kenzo Suzuki came out and this was all for a plug uh for another one of those Amazon Prime series uh for all Japan uh LEC which is seemingly sponsoring every wrestling company I know they do sponsor New Japan they sponsor Dragon Gate as well uh so they've sounds like it already taped because they said the Saito brothers were on it and as well as and I was I'm not sure I caught everyone but they, I also clearly heard them say Kai and Jason Lee from Dragon Gate were on it. And they also mentioned Ricky Choshu. And so I have to assume that maybe Choshu is doing commentary on the show. Oh, sorry about that. Uh, yeah, uh, I would love to be able to see some of these uh, Amazon Prime shows because some, like, they seem like a riot. Um, and I'm actually wondering how much money uh all japan is actually getting for these also given like some of the talent that they're actually booking on these probably don't like even at his age like riki Tosho probably doesn't come cheap so i do actually expect them to like i do actually think that they actually get a decent amount of money for these shows which is also why they are always plugging them so hard as well yeah you got to do what you can with the money mark money the yeah. money mark money you get <laughs> Um, and so that wasn't the only announcement. Uh, then we got a pre-taped message from Taru, who was not in jail, uh, surprisingly. And uh, he was talking about the Voodoo Murders returning and they're returning on the March 21st Oda Ward gym show. I'm not sure who else is technically in the Voodoo Murders because on the 01 January 1st show, Taru returned after a long absence, but it seemed like he was feeding, uh, feuding with Chris Weiss and... I think it's Yoshi Kazu Yazu in mm -hmm. Zero One who were also part of Voodoo Murders. So I don't know what's up with that or what's going on in Zero One. So I don't know who's coming with them. But truly, this is a celebration of All Japan's 50th anniversary if the Voodoo Murders are returning. Oh, yeah. I mean, they should bring in like all of the people that were in the Voodoo Murders. So, like, come on, bring everyone in. Like, bring in, uh, I mean, Rene Dupree was in there, Charlie Haas, like, D'Lo Brown. <laughs> Yeah, let's bring in D'Lo Brown. I mean, technically, Suvama was in the Wudu Murderers, and as was Kojima. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Doring. Kondo, Joe Doring, yeah. Uh, Lance Cade, yes. Hell yeah, let's bring in Lance Cade. <laughs> let's uh, bring in dead. all of the Wudu uh, Murderers. Lance Cade is dead. Oh, is he? Uh, yes. Okay. Well, okay, then probably you won't get uh, Lance Cade. Uh, but yeah, uh, Silver King's also dead. Um, Giant Bernard isn't though. Yeah, I mean he's technically still employed by uh, WWE, but he might get fired before the uh, <laughs> before the Order Watch show. So yeah, you bring him in there as well. Yeah, and there was a couple other little announcements. Um, also on the March twenty first Order Ward Gym Show, uh, we got the tradition appearing with Tatsumi Fujinami, Mitsuya Nagai, and Leona coming in. Uh, Fujinami was supposed to be on the last. Uh, Oda Ward gym show, but I believe he had some sort of infection that prevented him from doing so. And also, the last thing announced, which I thought was sort of strange, <laughs> the, then they announced Jake Lee's back on the 21st. Uh, <laughs> so I guess his injury wasn't out super long, but a little longer than I thought he was going to be out. Yeah, uh, I remember I was also surprised. Uh, I mean, again, then it's kind of weird that he isn't like in the title match on the Oda Ward show, spoilers, but. Uh... Yeah, it would. It did seem like maybe they wanted to play it safe with his injury and everything, and not immediately put him in a title match. But uh, 
definitely happy still to like see Jay come back. And I'm actually really interested, like what happens to him and Total Eclipse uh, once he returns. Yeah. And then the last announcement was uh, on March 7th in Yokohama. Izanagi and Black Mesa Ray will be facing the Brahmin brothers. And at least it's not on a big show, I guess. Yeah. I mean, sure. I mean, ideally, if I actually were to enjoy that match, you put that in like a water park and then it actually could be a ton of fun. But I mean, it's fine for like a filler defense. So it's fine. Yeah. And then uh, we had the first of four title matches and Shigehiro Irie defeated Sami Kodaka in about 10 minutes. Uh, I thought this was pretty good. Um, it was short. Yeah, only 10-22. Um, so Kodaka worked over um, both of Irie's arms. I sort of wound back and was like, is he working over both the left and the right? And he was at points. And so that was sort of in part to sort of stop uh, Irie from using his Beast Bomber Lariat. And so, you know, Irie fought back and then sort of did a couple of running flying headbutts and then pinned uh, Kodaka. I thought they made the most of their time. I mean, I thought this could have been really great if they stretched it out. But, you know, it was still pretty good. Kodaka got some near falls. So, yeah, really good. And uh, I thought they used their time well. Mm -hmm. The thing I actually thought about while watching this match and after it was over is like, was this like the best gay or TV title match so far? Because I was trying to think like what other like really good gay or TV title matches there have been. Like it, it wasn't like a like really amazing match for me. So it wasn't like it was still like below four stars, but I thought it was like a ton of fun. And I was like trying to think like what other matches there have been with that title that were like really, really good or that got to like this kind of level like there probably was something during the Akiyama reign but I couldn't think of anything off the top of my head I thought uh Ishikawa versus Sekimoto from last October November was a little better than this although it's a very different style it's like two beefy guys hitting each other really hard so I guess your mileage will, may vary depending on what sort of your stylistic tastes but it was the only other match I can think of that was at this level or higher recently yeah, I mean, that's probably a good shout. Like, I, I, I actually preferred this one over the uh, Sakamoto-Ishikawa match. Uh, but, yeah, that's really the only other one that I can think of that would kind of be on a similar level as this one. And in somewhat of a surprise, I'd say, in the uh, PWF World Junior Heavyweight title match, Hikaru Sato uh, beat Sugi in 9 minutes and 51 seconds with the arm capture cross arm breaker. And this time, instead of just capturing the leg while in the arm bar, um, Sato captured all of Sugi's limbs and just like <laughs> uh, tied him up. And so Sugi literally had no way of getting out of it. And so he gave up. Um, I thought this was good, not great. Uh, that There's this really weird botch spot in the middle where he goes for a, a sugi goes for a standing shooting star press and completely lands nowhere near <laughs> sato does not make any contact with him at all like it was like you know a botch and like the leg hits like the you in the gut or something nothing even close to that um i don't think you know it was you know bad other than that really but it just didn't really light my world on fire although i thought sato you know sort of worked well with given sugi's style yeah, did you see uh, Joe Gagne on Twitter managing to perfectly loop uh, Sugi missing the shooting star press? I did see that gif. Yeah, yeah it was it's, great. It's, it's just amazing to like. I just like to imagine that it's actually just Sugi just continuously 
missing a shooting star press, getting back up, trying again and missing again. Uh, that, that's just way funnier than what actually happened. But yeah, I, I think the match was fine. It is, it is the safe option, obviously, to kind of go back to Sato. And Sato, for like the last couple of years, has always felt like the safety blanket for the junior division of All Japan, where the promotion just knows that like they can always kind of go back to him and put the title on him for a while to just carry it while they figure stuff out. And this kind of felt like that as well. I mean, I do still think that like the next big person in the division is going to be Atsuki Oyagi. Uh, but, and obviously since it's Sato, they could also do like a quick title change. But I could also very much see them kind of drawing that out until the anniversary show and have him win there because it is still Sato, so you can reasonably have Sato carry the belt around for a couple of months and uh, then put over Aoyagi in a big spot too. But yeah, the match was fine. And I, to be honest, Sugi is very much like, he has his style of match and I did enjoy it. What I am also kind of happy that it's back on Sato now because I do actually like Sato a lot more in ring than I like Sugi. So. I am very much looking forward to like who he's going to like defend the title uh, going forward. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think um, Sato's a safe pair of hands. I think, yeah, he's also a better worker. And I think it will mean more for Atsuki to pin Sato and to finally win the title. Uh, yep. No, I definitely, I, I agree on that one. Uh, because Sugi, he's a good worker and he has... I wouldn't really call him a star, though. I mean, he has done nicely, but just in the canon of all Japan, Sato is just a significantly bigger deal uh, than Sugi is. So whoever gets put, like, because he was kind of already in this role uh, back when he put over Koji Iwamoto for the first time. And if I had to take a guess, then I think all Japan probably would have wanted uh, Iwamoto to be in that position to put over Aoyagi, but then Iwamoto obviously kind of decided to go away. So it makes sense for them to put it on Sato instead and then have Sato kind of repeat what he did with Iwamoto as well. Uh, only this time do it with Aoyagi. Yeah, definitely for sure. I think that's probably the best course they can go. So next up was the World Tag Team title match, Runaway Suplex. Uh, Suwama and Shitaro Ashino defeated Koji Doi and Kuma Arashi in 1826 with a T-bone suplex from Ashino on Doi for their third successful defense. Uh, I thought this started off a little slow, but it got really good towards the end. The last few minutes were awesome. And another great match from Runaway Suplex. And I know that, uh, you know, Doi and Arashi, they've got their fans. But as I said on my written review on VoicesOfWrestling.com that you can check out, this is really Runaway Suplex's time. And also, you can plug Runaway Suplex against a lot more teams, I think, that can produce better matches than you can with Doi and Arashi. No, I agree. I, I, I for one, I'm someone that loves Kuma Doi, always have, going back all the way to Wrestle 1. Uh, I do think that they will eventually win those titles, uh, but this is very much uh, Runaway Suplex is in the middle of a big reign. So it's fair enough to just let them keep going uh, with the rain as well and just have them really carry the uh, heavyweight tag division. It's 
I think maybe people that aren't really like super regular all Japan watchers are maybe not aware, but like the heavyweight tag division in all Japan is a big deal. Like it is legitimately expected to like carry shows and everything. So uh, I do think that they should keep those bells and uh, just uh, uh, defend them going forward. Yeah, for sure. I think Runaway Suplex is going to hold these tag titles either until right before the Real World Tag League and then win the Real World Tag League, or they will um, lose the tag titles at like in January 2023 to whoever wins the Real World Tag League. That seems to um, generally be like all Japan's booking style. Okay, we just had to stop recording for a few minutes uh, because of something that Paul had to do, but we're back. So we are now off to the main event, which was the Triple Crown match, which saw um, Kento Miyahara uh, beat Abdullah Kobayashi in 1606 with a German suplex hold. Uh, I thought this exceeded expectations. I'm not going to go and say this is a match of the, of the year candidate by any means, but it was good. It was sloppy a little bit at times. But, you know, Kobayashi worked hard. you got to give him credit for, uh, you know, how much he hustled. There wasn't really a lot of downtime during the match at all. Not like uh, Kobayashi was slapping on rest holds or anything like that. And Kobayashi took some big German suplexes in the uh, final sequence of the match. So, look, given my low expectations going into this, I thought it was successful. Miyahara looked great. So, you know, mission accomplished with one of the weakest challengers to ever challenge for the triple crown i think yeah no uh, as i said like it definitely exceeded my expectations as well i think this was a really good example of both competitors kind of being taken out of their comfort zone but both actually managing to make that work like i think for example kobayashi like something that he is always great at in death matches is like really showing like the pain and the punishment that he's taking which doesn't necessarily always translate well uh, to non-deaf matches, but I think he actually managed to kind of use that really well here. Like I very distinctly remember when he was like turning his back to Miyahara, and Miyahara was like kneeing him in the back and everything, and uh, and uh, Abdullah just really selling the pain of that. And then obviously kudos to Kento for managing to lift up uh, Abdullah uh, for the uh, deadlift German. Because that was really impressive. Like I wasn't sure if it was if he would be able to do that, but he did it really well. Yeah, I was kind of surprised that the match ended in a, an actual German suplex because I thought like you're just gonna use the blackout knee and pin Kobayashi or something. So you know, kudos to them for doing that. I think. Yeah, I mean, well, to be fair, he didn't use the like full shutdown version because he didn't lock the arms, so uh, it wasn't still like the full one uh, that he would normally do. It was just more like the normal German suplex that he normally uses for pinfalls. Uh, but I mean, he had to use two of them, so it's not like he like buried uh, Kobayashi or anything. But I think it he did kind of show that he was like below the level of his normal challenger. Yeah, and the next challenger after the match, well, Kento was on the mic. Uh, Suji Ishikawa came out, and so that is your main event at Oda Ward Gym on March 21st. And also, forgot to mention because we got interrupted doing the tag title match, another match for Oda Ward Gym. Uh, Ryuki Honda came out and attacked Runaway Suplex uh, after their match while they were celebrating, and Honda challenged Ashino to a match then, and uh, I think that will be pretty good. Yeah, no, that should be a ton of fun. Uh, I actually really liked the post-match brawl between Honda and Ashino. There was just some real heat in there. 
And Ashino also had, Ashino, uh, Honda had that uh, shit-eating green uh, on his face as well when he attacked Ashino with a chair. And then Ashino just kind of started laying into him, being just really selling uh, just how pissed he was at Honda there. So I think that's going to be a really fun match. And then Ishikawa versus Kento, like I doubt that that was their like plan for this show. But it is a safe match as well, and you're not burning anything major by doing this either. Because also just kind of looking at like who else could challenge for the belt, and like obviously they didn't want to go with Jake here. Uh, and then Suwama and Ashino are both busy uh, with the tag titles, which are definitely also going to have a match on the Outer World show for those. And then otherwise, in terms of credible triple crown uh, challenges that are like on the roster. I mean, it's not going to be Yuma Aoyagi because they're clearly saving that match for a different point down the line. So really that just about left Shuji Ishikawa as the only one that is like on the regular All Japan roster. And if you're not bringing in anyone else from the outside as the only one that could reasonably challenge for the belt at the show. Yeah, uh, just to correct you on one thing, I think you said something about a world tag title match at Oda Ward, but that's not going to happen because you got Honda versus Ashino. Oh, right. There yeah. is a Cork and Hall show earlier in March, so I would have to assume that they got to have the tag titles main event that show. Yeah, no, 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 I can definitely imagine that. I mean, in that case, I'm actually curious what Suwama is going to do on the Oda Ward show. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he was in a match with some outsiders, either a singles or a tag. I think they're sort of... You know, since Ishikawa and Kento's done been done so many times, although not that recently, I think last time was in last year's Champion Carnival. I think they're just going to pad it with you got the outsiders, you got Voodoo Murders returning, you got like Fujinami there. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't be surprised if they announced some other um, outsiders for that show, sort of, you know, fill out the undercard to just make it like a you go for the whole card, not just the main event type show. Yeah, I actually just realized, yeah, he's probably just going to be in a Voodoo Murderers match because. He used to be in Voodoo Murders. Like, I don't expect him to be on the side of Taro, but I think he might be the... I think it might be him and Evolution against, uh, like, Taro and whoever else Taro brings in. Yeah, that would definitely work. And I guess, in some ways, a not something notable coming out of this show is what we didn't get, uh, because in the last few years, they've been announcing, you know, the Champion Carnival um, uh, participants on this Excite Series big show in Corrigan Hall... We didn't get that here, although they did announce all the dates for the Champion Carnival. It's about 10 shows, I think. So it's looking like they might do that one block of 10 again. Um, so, you know, I think clearly the fact that they haven't announced this yet means obviously that Cody Rhodes' visa has not gone <laughs> through. And so they're just waiting for everything to be confirmed and he's getting the visa before they announce that he's in the Champion Carnival. Yeah. I mean, what more? what is more appropriate for someone who is like... Uh... We always says that like wrestling has more than one royal family to come under the promotion that is the uh, eponymous for the royal road. So, I mean, yeah, clearly, I mean, he's, I don't think he's going to win a champion carnival, but when he comes in, he's obviously going to win the royal road tournament. Like, I think that just is a perfect fit. And then he can like be a challenger on like a secondary show. I think that's that's very appropriate for like the level of uh, star that he is, I think. And then he can just kind of be like in the all Japan mid card after that. I think that's a really good spot for him uh but in all seriousness do you have any predictions of who might be in the champion carnival at least like outsiders um in terms of kind of foreigners i mean obviously like i mean as you alluded to like they definitely 
waiting for like visas to clear and that's why they didn't make the announcement here um well i'm I not mean, sure if that's the reason or not i have no clue i i would guess so because again like from march 1st is when like foreigners can come back to japan and since we have traditionally gotten it here it was kind of curious that we didn't so that's why i'm kind of feeling like they want to see if they can get anyone in um in terms of like who comes in i mean i would maybe not expect too many big surprises in terms of like foreigners coming in um i mean i definitely hopefully expect obviously lucha libre superstar gianni valletta uh, to make another appearance in the champion carnival uh joel redman i could definitely see come back as well um yeah other people i mean i could definitely see kind of some big japan guys be in the champion carnival too I don't expect it to be like I know that people like there's some people that have like thrown around the idea of like like some sort of new Japan involvement uh with uh the Champion Carnival, especially because they have that joint uh Cork and Hall show and there might be like New Japan involvement on the anniversary show later in the year as well. But to be honest, if there would have been kind of some tournament involvement, like cross-promotional tournament involvement. Then I would have expected to see some All Japan, at least a few All Japan people in the uh, New Japan Cup, just based on how large that uh, that tournament field is. And we didn't see any of that. So I don't really expect any like New Japan involvement in the Champion Carnival either. I'm going to throw out some other possibilities. Uh, someone from Great, maybe a Takanori Ito or a Ryuchi mm. Kamakami or... Um... Ayato Tamara. Uh, also, uh, someone that I hope, and I've also long been hoping that they showed up in All Japan after they left Zero One, is uh, Toa Awasaki, uh, who I think is a really good young heavyweight. I think he's pretty young. He's only like 23 years old. Um, and he just had a singles match against Shuji Ishikawa in him and Kohei Sato's really small indie called Burst, which runs shows just outside of Fukuoka. I think he's someone that could be a possibility, uh, but that's slightly a lot of it based on my own wishful thinking of people I'd like to see in all Japan. Yeah. Uh, well, one one person actually I definitely want to see in the Champion Carnival is Ayata Yoshida, but it, then it depends if you can convince him to take the train, uh, which seems to be an issue with him. Uh, so, but if they can convince him to do that, then I would very much uh, like to see him in the Champion Carnival and I could also definitely see kind of Kengo Mashimo being in the Champion Carnival again. And then obviously I think Kazuma Sakamoto to me is kind of a lock to be in there, unless this is like a really short run. Yeah, for sure. I hope that Sakamoto's in there, and I think he will be. And I guess the last little bit of All Japan uh, to talk about is I have a Saito Brothers update from America. I've been watching as much of their stuff that I can find. Uh, they had a match on last week's MLW Fusion where they basically squashed the jobber team of Gnarls Garvin and Bud Heavy uh, with uh, them doing the double choke slam on Heavy and then uh, Ray pinning he Bud Heavy with a splash off the top, which was cool to see. Um, I also saw the Saito brothers in Wrestling Open, which is, I think, sort of like a sub-brand of Beyond. And they face the team of the Brick City Boys, who I'd never seen before, and I thought were really good. That was a fun little match. 
Uh, all of wrestling opens matches except for the main event have 10 minute time limits. So it's like a lot of young, fresh talent on the indies doing quick matches. It's fun to watch, show to watch. And I thought they looked good there. And I also saw a match. I can't remember. It was a handy two on three handicap match. The Saito brothers against three very indie looking guys. I can't even remember their names on uh, ETWA, which is the Eastern Townships Wrestling Association in Vermont. And uh, they sort of won a squash in a um, in um, uh, just like a few minutes and did a whole angle with like sort of Jay Freddy as their uh, hype man, calling themselves Baba Enterprises um, <laughs> and saying that all Japan is like the biggest company in Japan, which I thought was funny. But, you know, you got to work the crowd like that. Yeah. And so, you know, it was pretty good. And um, they have a six man tag at another ET. WA show, I think, either in March or April in a six-man where they're going to be teamed with Jay Freddy against a team. I can't remember who else is on it, but the leader of the team is Anthony Henry. So that should be a fun little match, and I'll be looking out for that. Yeah, so, also, like, as we're on the topic, like, uh, as we were talking about people potentially coming in, like, I don't think he would come in for the champion carnival because I think he's a little too undersized for that. But given that he's the handler for the Saito brothers, I very much expect Jay Freddy to show up in all Japan. I mean, he also has a ton of Japan experience as well, like having worked in like Wrestle One, and then kind of randomly in like 2AW kind of at the end of 2019, early 2020. So I would definitely expect him to come in. But when he comes in, like, I don't think he's going to be a heavyweight. He's going to be a junior. So I, we might see him come in for like something like the junior battle of glory or whenever like the or he might come with the Saitos whenever their uh, excursion is over. Yeah, definitely. I think he will be popping up in all Japan um, when this is when their excursion is over for sure, and would be helpful because they don't. Well, I guess with I don't know if Francesco Akira is injured, so I don't know how long he's going to be out, and I don't know if he's going to be coming back to be honest. So, uh, you know, so I guess the, you know a new foreign, and they weren't even bringing in that many foreign juniors anyway. Mm -hmm. So it would be nice to get a new one, I think. Uh, so that's it for All Japan, and so we're going to move on next to Noah. And before we get to Noah, just a word from our sponsor, uh, from HelloFresh. Uh, so what is HelloFresh? Well, with HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. Um, HelloFresh cuts back on time spent in the kitchen so you can quickly spend it on, uh, on other things that you have to do with your life with meals ready around in about 30 minutes or less, plus quick and easy meals, including 20 minute recipes and low prep and easy cleanup options that provide an even faster route to putting food on the table. And HelloFresh is 72% cheaper than a restaurant meal of the same quality. And you can save on average over $65 per month when you order HelloFresh instead of grocery shopping. That's more money to put towards other things that you have to do in your life. And so to me, like two of the biggest things that sort of affect whether or not I uh, eat out or make dinner is um, obviously how much time I've got in the day and if I'm looking to save money or I've got money to spend or whatever. And so really with HelloFresh, you get the sort of the best of both worlds you can make meals quickly and you can save money on it, which is a 
really big thing to do and something that really, you know, I have certainly probably spent way too much money on takeout over the course of my life. I don't even want to know how much I've spent on unnecessary takeout that I could have just made at home over the course of my lifetime. So um, you can get a uh, offer. So you can go to hellofresh.com slash VOW16 and use code VOW16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. So that's hellofresh.com slash VOW16 with the code VOW16 for 16 free meals and three free gifts. That is a great deal from America's number one meal kit. And so we move to what is probably <laughs> one of the most contentious and controversial things to happen in Japanese wrestling uh, this year already. And we, that's right, we're going to be talking about pro wrestling NOAA's Game Control 2022 in Nagoya, the Nagoya International Conference uh, Hall Event Hall. And that drew 643 fans. Uh, which is less, as we mentioned earlier, less than what All Japan drew to Cork and Hall. And it should be noted that uh, in December, Dragon Gate also drew over 700 fans in the same venue in Nagoya. And that main event was a open the Brave Gate match between SB Kento and UT. So what do you think of those numbers, Paul? It's definitely not very encouraging where... Uh, uh, I haven't looked at like exactly all of the numbers, but there's definitely a feeling that numbers for Noah are down year over year in terms of attendance and who knows what the reason for that is, but it's definitely not an encouraging sign given that Noah is running a very ambitious schedule this year. So we're going to have to see if the attendance numbers kind of recover kind of as restrictions get lifted. Or if this is really if this is really a sustained trend, which would be very worrying for the promotion. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the sort of things sort of got off to a bad start this year because they did like a thousand less in Budokan for uh, you know Nakajima versus uh, Go than they did for Nakajima versus Mudo in February 2021. So I think a lot of people are, a lot of people are going to be watching these NOAA attendances uh, moving forward. So we're going to start at the top of the card because there's so much to talk to and work our way down. So obviously the first match we had for the GHC heavyweight title in the main event, sorry, not the first match, Kazuyuki Fujita beat Katsuhiko Nakajima in 21-11 with a powerbomb and um, so Nakajima was making his fifth defense of the GHC title, and that failed. And now uh, Fujita is the 37th champion, and he is uh, joins the elite club of those who have held both the GHC heavyweight and the IWGP heavyweight titles, although he has yet to go for the triple crown of winning the triple crown. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, you know, the match itself, 21 minutes, you know, I, there was some a lot of great stuff in here at times, like really stiff hits. And we'll get to the finish in a second, although I did think earlier on there were points where Fujita did sell for Nakajima a bit. But uh, sort of the last couple of minutes with like Fujita sort of just powering through and, and almost sort of lackadaisically pinning uh Nakamura with that powerbomb, he sort of, and then lifting Nakajima up from a pinfall, he sort of did end up 
punking him a bit. That didn't make Nakajima look great. I'm going to admit I didn't expect this to happen. We said in passing because we forgot to fully cover it on the last episode. We just said on our rejoinder at the end, oh, we forgot to mention it. Well, obviously Nakajima's winning. That's not the case. And I guess given the amount of title defenses that Nakajima had already been making since he had won the title just in, I think, it was October or November, it, looking back, it sort of makes more sense that he did win. Um, so, you know, overall, I mean, it was a good match. Despite those issues, it did have its moments, but I wouldn't go out and call it a great match or anything like that. Paul, what did you think? Yeah, no, I agree that it was a good match. I mean, it was a Fujita match. I mean, for like all misgivings about him and everything like he he actually does have re, uh, really entertaining matches it's just that those tend to come then with kind of issues uh due to his ego basically uh which i think it is actually like like he has really good matches but then his ego is like the thing that keeps the match from being actually genuinely great as well uh because it is just very much like a very one-sided match most of the time i mean as i said he did sell a little bit for nakajima but I still wouldn't call this like a back and forth match or anything like that. It was very much just like Fujita getting his shit in and at the expense of everyone else as he's wont to do. So yeah. And really the thing that bothered me was then at the finish when he just like pulled up uh, Nakajima, like he's a jobber in like 80s WWF to like beat him up some more. And then when I watched it, I was like, okay, is this actually going to now lead to him kind of like slipping up and having like a banana peel loss right now? He gets rolled up by Nakajima and then no, he just beat up Nakajima some more and then just pinned him and rolled him up like a, not rolled him up, but like he did like this really like really cocky pin on him as well. And uh, yeah, just pinned him for the title. It's, I mean, even more so than the match itself, for me, it's also the thing that it's just it felt as Nakajima title reign had like more time in it it felt like it had a lot more legs in it so it's just odd to me for them to like end it now but I mean there were some scoops that came out and we might talk about those as well so that makes more sense that they decided to end the title reign here um or at least it makes more sense from the Noah perspective to end the title reign here but still like it, it just to me, it's also, they spent so much time and effort building up the Nakajima title win for him to be like, for him to lose the title in this way, just feels very weird given how much effort and just equity and everything, just the company invested into building him up. And I have a lot of that got undone by the way the title reign was ended. In the hobby? It's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy slab packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and, and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous 
brown bag of cards and yeah you can open it and look it's gonna be junk you're you, you know what i mean like you know what you're probably gonna get in those maybe you find that fun and sometimes i do sometimes i like just opening up cards and saying oh, hey look at some random cards or whatever but if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs and it ends up being you know almost nothing you know nothing of value not with arena club you can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off again that's arena club.com slash vow net arena club.com slash vow net for 10 percent off your first purchase on arena club and we thank them for sponsoring the voices of wrestling podcast network oh i totally agree i mean just it felt like this was the time after the sort of unsuccessful first um ghc title reign that nakajima had and i think in 2016 2017 like this was now his moment he had totally like changed his character although his work was always great but he really felt like you know this was going to be like a career defining title run and that still has yet to come you know i thought the uh most i mean except for your ironic enochius i thought most of the response was universally negative i saw several people i know saying like they're done with noah for now or, or this has discouraged people from getting into Noah because they had been hearing so many great things about it recently, which also leads me to uh, <laughs> what the Noah Global Twitter account was doing. <laughs> they were responding to some people saying stuff like, oh, this is another case of Noah not properly pushing um, talent and, you know, having old guys on top too long. And the Noah, I saw one account, uh, the one account they were responding to, they posted a picture of like the Twitter trends and Noah was trending and everything like that. I just think that's incredibly unprofessional given people are going to be angry about this because look, Fujita wasn't the only reason, but a major part of why New Japan almost went out of business and Noah has a long-term problem and issue over the years with not properly making that next generation of stars. I mean, look how long it took for Go to get that sort of defining reign that he had in 2020. You know, I think uh, Stuart Fulton and Mark Pickering are absolutely the best English commentary team 
in Japan doing Japanese shows right now. They are awesome. I, it is always a pleasure to listen to them. You know, I, so I don't want to be too harsh here. I just think it's really just looks bad, especially when you have something, you know, that was obviously going to generate a lot of um, legitimate, you know, backlash to what happened. And I just think it's it's not a good look. And there's way too many Twitter and social media accounts run by people in the wrestling business that easily get gotten to. And I just don't think they need to go down that road. I don't know, Paul, do you have any thoughts on this? Um, I mean, to me, it's kind of irrespective of what you think of the booking decision. This is not something that you should do. Like, there's nothing to really gain for you. Like, you should just shouldn't do it. Like, I think there's nothing to gain from jumping into the mansions with randos and arguing with them about the booking decisions of your promotion that you're representing with that Twitter account. I think it's just easier to just kind of just tweet out your tweets and then, yeah, maybe you can have like, maybe you can have like some words of like people that are might be like in a bit more positive way, but there's no way to come out looking good of like just, trying to like dunk on people with the like company account like that just never like it just always kind of looks a bit cringe and i think kind of they, they should be above this and i think generally they are above this as well it's just yeah it was a bit of an unfortunate look yeah I, I think it's in part because of the sort of backlash that it generated but i just don't think that backlash is that surprising under the circumstances basically and I, another issue with Noah booking, I think, coming out of this match was uh, Masato Tanaka came out, poured some beer on Fujita's head, uh, sort of echoing what happened at the press conference between Nakajima and Fujita, and basically challenged Fujita. Now, look, I have, there's a lot of elements of Nasawa's booking that I like, but this, not just even the Fujita winning, but Tanaka being the next challenger was a big issue, I think, because A, Tanaka lost a uh, GHC title challenge a couple months ago to Nakajima. And then he goes to a 30-minute draw with uh, Kazuyuki Fujita. And on a – I can't remember when that match was. When was that match? Was that in January or December, I think? And um, um, Yeah, it might be. And, and then basically on this show, as we'll talk to, Tanaka goes to a double countout against Kendo Caution. So that's just – utterly baffling booking on the way that you're going to set up your next challenger. There's just like no credibility there. He should have gotten a big win or something against someone, even on a, like he should have pinned caution, but he probably should have gotten a win over someone higher ranked than caution as well. It's just very, basically they just needed a guy that can do a job to Fujita, you know, which is just what it yeah. screams to me. I mean, Tanaka did get one big win because he beat Shiozaki during the Shiozaki oh, that's right, challenge yes. series. So I think that might be the thing that, they, that they're using to justify this. And actually, it made me think that maybe this might be what they're doing, where they're going to feed like all of the people that beat Shiozaki uh, to uh, Fujita. And then they might have uh, Segura be the one that beats Fujita, because uh, we know that Fujita is willing to lose to Segura, because that's what happened with the national title. Yep. So I could actually see them repeat that with the... Uh, with the world time with the world heavyweight championship now as well um but i mean as far i mean it was definitely kind of weird that tanaka went to a double count out with kashan and then just challenges on the same show like that's just very very weird uh but i do think that they're justifying it based on the fact that he did beat go shiozaki and as for the match itself i'm actually looking forward to that one 
because I'm like, like it doesn't really matter if just Fujita just does Fujita shit to Tanaka and Tanaka's just going to bump his ass off. So I think that match actually could be really, really fun. And I think I'm actually going to really enjoy that one. Yeah, I mean, that it is a good opponent, like, but the booking could have been better. And so also coming out of the show, uh, Joe Lanza of the flagship podcast posted on their Patreon account some scoops coming out of the show. I'm not going to give them all away because they're on uh, behind a paywall, but basically those who aren't who you think are having you know not willing to do jobs in noah are the people not willing to do jobs in noah and basically uh noah's booking plans uh have and are going to continue to featuring a lot of old guys at the top of the card and as champions um you know and okay since paul already said it like i'll reveal one thing like fujita's basically agree will agree to job to Sugera, but not really to many other people. And so I don't know how this reign ends other than Sugera, unless they basically have to dangle some sort of like, I don't know, bonus or something for Fuji to do the job. So I don't know where that's going. Yeah. I mean, it's really like out of the people that are in there that are like realistic challengers, I could see like, I mean, he might be willing to do it to, to Marufuji. I, that's another one I could see, which is which is, would be very interesting. That like two years in a row, you need to put the belt on Marufuji because your world champion is not ref, is refusing to job to anyone else. But I do feel like this might end with uh, Segura uh, winning the belt. See, it's funny you say that because I could see Fujita saying no because he doesn't think Marufuji's legit enough. Unlike Segura, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that's the other thing. Where it's like I could see Marufuji, but even on that one, I'm not very certain. So Segura is really kind of the only one, like, unless it's, unless it's, I mean, when we talk about this later, he's going to drop it to uh, Hideki Suzuki, which would be hilarious. And I think I should talk about this now, where this is like the match I want coming out of this Fujita reign. I want Hideki Suzuki versus uh, Kazuyuki Fujita, because I just want to see how that match goes. <laughs> well, uh, we are that much closer to it happening. Uh, so the match second from the top was the team of Daiki Inaba, Goshi Ozaki, and Kaito Kiyomiya defeating the Congo team of Keno, Manabusoya, and Masakatsu Funaki in 21-21 when um, Kiyomiya made uh, Soya submit to basically, I'm not sure if he's what he's calling it, but it was a cattle mutilation. Um, yeah, I thought this was a pretty good little six-man Um you know, everyone playing the hits and that kind of thing. I kind of surprised that Congo lost here just because Daiki and Abba seem like the most obvious uh, loss post. But, you know, at least they are trying to keep Kaito strong on some level. And I guess we might as well just get into this quickly. Uh, since we're talking about some of the wrestlers involved in this match, let's just go. What do you think of the Go Challenge series, Paul? What was your favorite match of it? I, I really love the Go Challenge series. I think my favorite one was probably the match with Keno. Uh, I think that was a great match. But I think all of all four of them were great. I think the Segura match is officially part of it. I think so, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, I loved all four of them. Uh, I think, I mean, and I was really positive coming out of the Corican triple shot that Noah had as well, because I think all three shows were really good. And it really helped that they all three Corican shows had a Goshiyazaki match on top. And I think all three of them were really, really strong. Like, obviously, I was surprised when Tanaka won. But again, that made more sense kind of when it became clear that uh, he was going to lose just all of the matches of the challenge series. And I am kind of curious to see 
what happens with Go going forward, because obviously now he has to kind of rebuild himself uh, over the course of the year, because obviously he put himself in a big hole by like being really cocky and being like, yeah, I'm going to do this challenge series to get back on top of the promotion and to then lose literally all of the matches in it is obviously going to mean that like now he has to like really work that much harder to like get back to the top level. Yeah, I, I really liked all the matches too. I thought they were all uh, really good. Actually, I would probably, I think most people I saw ranked uh, Keno versus Go as their favorite. My favorite was actually um, Go versus Tanaka uh, because I am a huge Tanaka mark from all the way back watching him on ECW on TNN back in 1999, which was a major reason why I got into Japanese pro wrestling. And obviously Tanaka sometimes, when you put him in longer matches like you know, he's got his formula and playing the hits and stuff. But I thought, like, he go worked well that sort of, you know, it wasn't like just Tanaka spamming stuff and, like, the match sort of just, like, felt lost. Really, like, really good match structure and everything like that in that. And I would rank the Keno match second. I would rank the Segura match third and the Marafuji match fourth. That doesn't mean Marafuji versus Go was bad by any means, but just the way that I would rank them. And I guess some of the other good stuff on some of the um, Horkin shows is I liked um, the GSC junior title match of um, Harada versus Tadasuke. That was really good. Um, Tadasuke has sort of become a pretty solid like power junior type. Certainly uh, the top worker from the former Rattels. Well, I guess Harada was in Rattels too. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, um, I would say more so than Yohei or... Um, Hayata and you know what honestly Kaido Kiyomiya on that same show versus Hayata was actually a pretty good Hayata match honestly again that was all thanks to Kaido and something that I thought was really good um so yeah Paul did you have any other sort of matches on those shows uh, I also really liked uh Funaki uh, versus Mochizuki uh, I think it was kind of the perfect length for a uh, Funaki national title match and like you just had like two people just kicking the shit out of each other. And I think that was like really like the best Funaki match I've seen in a while. I think Mochizuki really kind of brought the best out of him. Uh, so I, I really, really liked that match. Uh, and then, I mean, it wasn't part of the kind of the Kurikan, uh series, but afterwards uh, you also had Kaito Kiyomiya, Kaito Kiyomiya versus Yoshinari Ogawa. And I think that was an amazing match as well. Uh, I saw some people even throw it around as a match of the year contender. I didn't quite get to that level for me, but I thought I just really loved it, I, especially the early part. Uh, what that one reminded me of is, I don't know, Gerard, if you've ever seen the matches when, uh, like a couple of years back, when I think the Chicago Film Archive uh, found some like really old wrestling tapes from the 50s and uploaded them to the YouTube channel. No, I haven't. Oh, yep. So one of the matches in that one was um, was Red Bastine versus Vern Gagne, and uh, it like it the early part of Kaito versus Ogawa actually reminded me of that match because Ogawa was just using like a lot of those like old school type of uh, head scissors that not a lot of guys still use anymore, and that's kind of what that match between Gagne and uh, Bastine was as well. So it was really, and, and I really loved that match. So uh, like immediately I was like really into the Ogawa and Kaito match because of that. And I think it went on really well from that as well. Uh, I wasn't really super big fan of the 
of the ending sequence. So that might be what's keeping me back from making it a match of the year contender. But again, it's just like some minor com minor complaints for what was a really amazing match otherwise. It's funny you mentioned that because I have seen uh, Red Bastine matches and he was, yeah, he was an incredibly smooth worker, uh, especially in doing some sort of like little sort of high flying stuff, especially for his time. So I sort of get that comparison. Uh, and I actually did go four and a half stars on Ogawa versus Kaido. I think it is a low end match of the year candidate. I don't know if it's going to survive on my list till the end of the year, but I just thought it was awesome work from, and I didn't mind the finishing sequence all that much. It sort of made sense in the context of it. And now, I mean, the only criticism that I think I could make is that should Kaido be going over 40 minutes against Yoshinari Ogawa? And, you know, I think that's a perfectly legitimate critique of handling of the, of Kaido. But other than that, the work was incredible. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And I, I mean, to me, that felt less like a booking decision of like, oh, we need to have, we need to keep Ogawa strong and have him go 40 minutes of Kaito. I think this might have legitimately, because this was a minor show, this might have legitimately be something that both Kaito and Ogawa requested, where they were just like, hey, can we just have like 40 minutes on this minor show to just go out there and show what we can do? And Nosawa probably just going like, yeah, sure, go ahead. So like, that's more what this felt like for me, like more showcase from both guys. Yeah, definitely. And I bet you they'll do it again because they've already done it a couple of times already. Um, so uh, after or before that match, I guess, um, had Daisuke Harada defend the GHC junior title against the legendary international superstar Super Crazy. Uh, and Harada pinned Super Crazy in 1857 with a Hurricane Rana. I'll say this. Um, I think this is the best Super Crazy match I've seen since he came back to Japan starting in in all Japan for the real world tag league. I mean, there was a very boring part in the middle of this when super crazy was in control, but Harada tried to make something of it. And, you know, I give this maybe like a three and a quarter or something, but like, you know, I still think I can call Harada a miracle worker for the quality of this match, given what we've seen from super crazy the past couple of months. Yeah. I didn't really like this match all that much. Uh, yeah, I mean, as you said, like Harada did as much as he could, but to me, just super crazy right now. And also giving him like lengthy stretches of offense as well. It's like, yeah, no, it, it, that's just not going to be interesting for me. And it going 18 minutes as well. That's just, I, I just also don't think super crazy has the stamina for that anymore as well. So he shouldn't be going that long either. So you could have caught like a solid five minutes off of that match and still probably would have felt like it would have gone long uh so yeah we just wasn't a fan I'm, I'm just happy that we were spared like two super crazy junior title reigns in one year because i already had to go for the super crazy junior title reign in all japan so i'm happy that i don't have to go to, through that in noah but then again the year isn't over yet so we might still get that you know it's sort of funny because I thought there was a chance of super crazy winning this just because, you know, Nosawa, much like Tajiri likes rewarding his friends. And so, you know, giving super crazy that big moment where he can say he held both titles in like the span of a couple of months, even if he was just going to drop it right away, would not have shocked me to be completely honest with you. Uh, but hopefully now, I mean, super crazy is a contract to Noah wrestler apparently he's going to be there for a while so hopefully he just fades back into like six man and eight man tags um and then we had actually yeah um 
we had new G- GHC Junior Tag Team title champions crowned uh, because Seki Yoshioka had to vacate the title due to injury. Uh, so Atsushi Katoge and Yohei defeated uh, the Stinger team of Hayata and Yuya Susumu in, oh my God, 26 minutes and 58 seconds uh, when um, uh, Yohei pinned... Um, Yohei pinned Susumu, or did he? No, sorry. No, he pinned Susumu. Yeah. Yeah, he pinned Susumu uh, with the, what's the name of that move? Um, well, that I can't help you with because I'm also not really great with uh, move. Oh, the Super Gammon G is what it's called. Uh, Super Gammon G. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I actually thought that the last couple of minutes were not bad, but this went way too long. And I mean, Susumu and Hayata are not great workers to begin with so i don't know what this was like how does this happen like does do you think harada or whoever sort of has a hand in booking the juniors is like hey, we're gonna we want almost 30 minutes for a big title match what was the point of this i don't get it yeah it, i think it was actually during this match where i uh wrote you on the slack being like i think the main event might be going short because this went so long because i was like okay there's clearly like they're laying out like a lot of time here and that's actually when i kind of started thinking that fujita might uh, might win where it might have been a just a squash match but i mean that obviously didn't happen because that main event still got a lot of time but it was definitely curious that this match went like ended up being the longest match on the show um yeah it, it was kind of weird i didn't mind it that much i actually exceeded my expectation somewhat yeah i would have cut off some time from it uh, I definitely went in with lower expectations, uh, and it somewhat exceeded that. I still wouldn't say it was like a really good match, but it was kind of okay-ish at the end of the day. Um, I actually did kind of like uh, Yohei as the face in peril. I think it did really well, and I think he really sold the finish really well when he won the uh, when he won the match and won the titles. I think that actually came, he actually came across as genuinely likable when that happened and it generally felt happy for him. So I did like the finish. So it was okay. That's really the best you can say. And what do you think of the Yohei turn? Um, sort of leaving Stinger and joining the regular or hmm? uh, leaving uh, Los Paris del Mar. Oh, Los, Los Paris yeah. del Mar. Sorry. I, well, I'm not messing up who was in what junior unit is pretty standard. I think everybody does it. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure what exactly it meant. Uh, it's just another thing that happens. Um, I don't – there wasn't even really that much of a storyline building to it. You know, I so. mean, there was there was some miscommunication between Yohei and Nasava on kind of the, like, other Korokan shows as well before it happened. So they were at least – building it up a little bit and I, but I think like the turn was like executed pretty well where Nasava I mean they kind of got accidentally lucky as well because I don't think uh Nasava intended to just bust open the back of Yohei's head with that chair shot but I think it really kind of enhanced the turn as well with Yohei just bleeding all over the ring and then Kotogi coming out for the save uh so I think it was executed pretty well and then it, that kind of set up then kind of the next turn as well where it was very clear that O'Hara wasn't happy with uh Yohei joining the junior arm uh, the junior home army as well but uh so I think it was it worked pretty well as a storyline device and uh because also after this match uh Suzuki and Nasawa came out as the next challengers 
So that felt very logical there as well uh, with the way that turn went down. Yeah, I mean, that could be a decent match as long as it doesn't go like 27 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think Katoga and Yohei could be, are a decent team against the red, will be a decent team against the red opponents. Um, but this booking was just, you know, the match structure and everything was just not for me, I think. Yeah. And so before this match, we had the epic return of Hideki on a pre-taped segment. We were standing in a parking lot, what I assume was the States, in front of a UPS store. Uh, must have been shipping out some packages. Oh, he's, he's shipping gonna... out himself. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm sure the WWE is not paying for a return ticket to Japan. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe he's getting creative on how to get back there cheaply. Um, so he's going to be... Takashi Sugera's partner in the tag tournament um, in March. Uh, thoughts? I mean, I like Hideki, <laughs> so <laughs> I actually don't mind this. I mean, look, I mean, the way Noah is, there's already loads of old guys that no sell. So what's one more? Who cares? So, and this one is one that I actually really like. So I'm like, yeah, sure. Let, let's just bring, let's bring them all in. Who cares at this stage? It's fine. So uh, I'm actually looking forward to having Hideki back. It's not like he can make this whole booking situation any worse. So, uh, uh, I mean, on the other hand, so now, now because they're in the tag title at uh, an attack uh, team title tournament, uh, the match that that's going to happen there is Segura and Hideki versus Funaki and Keno. And yeah, I, I think if you bet money, if you want to have a very safe bet that you want to bet a lot of money on, uh, Keno eating the pin in that match is uh, pretty much guaranteed because I'd have very high doubts that any of the other three men would agree to do that. Maybe Segura, but definitely not the other two. You're probably right, and that was my first reaction as well. Although I could see Hideki beating Funaki to set up a national title match, maybe. Maybe, yeah. Actually, I know that you say that that might be a good option because, yeah, they haven't really like set up another challenger for uh, Funaki. Although I'm also still thinking that Kaito uh, might be a, a, an upcoming challenger as well. Yeah. And then so uh, before that, we had a match where the team of Naomichi Marafuji and Takashi Sugera defeated the team, the tough Masakidami and Yoshi. Yoshiki Inamura in 20 minutes, 22 seconds with an Olympic slam from Sugira on Inamura. I thought this was pretty good. Um, and I thought Inamura looked great here. Uh, I guess Inamura was going to do the job here against Marafuji and Sugira, although I don't think it's such a big deal that Marafuji or Sugira could have pinned Kitamiya. Um, it just feels like Inamura just keeps getting jobbed out way too much when I feel like this should be the, you know, 2022 should be a, a big year for him. But I mean, I thought this was a good match. Like look at the four involved, you know, so it was no surprise there. I mean, they didn't go balls out or anything like that, but it was still very good, like solid 20 minute tag. Yeah. Well, it was a really solid match. And uh, to me, it was also really bothering me that Inamura took the pin here. I mean, Masaki Tamiya at this stage is who he is. Like, I don't think there's really going to be all that much, like, movement for him up or down the card for a while. Like, I don't think he's going to get move up the card. Like, he's never going to be, like, a proper main eventer. He's always going to be, like, this, like, upper mid-card guy that you can then, like, maybe push into, like, a title match every once in a while. Um, so I think that it wouldn't have hurt him in any way to get pinned by either Marufuji or Segura. Like, that's nothing he loses there. Whereas Inamura to me is someone that you do kind of need to protect because he's someone that you should be building up right now. So 
yeah, I wasn't a big fan of him uh, taking the pin here. But I think ultimately he will probably still, like not probably, but he will still be fine because at the end of the day it was just a mid-card match and it's not going to be something that is going to be remembered so you can easily like rehab him. So it's still okay. It just was still another curious booking decision. And then before that, we mentioned this match earlier, but just inexplicable booking. Uh, Masato Tanaka and Kendo Kashin went to a double countout in 1101 because they went up to the balcony at Corican Hall again. This is Kashin's gimmick. Uh, there was nothing. Tanaka couldn't save this match or anything. It was what you expect in a Kendo Kashin match. And again, like I said, inexplicable booking. Uh, we know Kendo Kashin has an office job in NOAA, but oh God, you know, I don't know. I think it's unfortunately somewhat you know this is like you know a symbol of some of the problems in the company right now yeah no definitely it was just made no sense especially since Tanaka was then the next challenger for the world title so it was just you, you can beat Kendo Kasha and it's fine like it doesn't matter uh like why this has to go to like a double count out as well it's like I mean I, I guess at least we got the spot where uh where Tanaka threw Kendo Kasha and off the balcony so uh i guess we at least got got to see that so that was fun but like otherwise yeah the match was just like it's a lower card mid lower to mid card like kendo kashan match in 2022 so yeah and it also wasn't really something that really worked well to tanaka's strengths either it is to have so to against someone like kashan so yeah i don't know it should have just been tanaka beating kashan and it's all you can really say about it and then we had uh, the Congo team of Tadasuke, uh, Hajime Ohara, and Aleha. And they defeated Hao, uh, Junta Miyawaki, and Kai Fujimura in 1442 with a Fuyuki special from Tadasuke on Fujimura. Yeah, I thought this was a solid little match. I mean, a uh, bunch of good workers in this. So, you know, I mean, nothing to write home about, but, you know, good match for what it was. Yeah, no, that wasn't okay kind of junior uh, junior kind of tag match so yeah it was fine didn't really have any issues with the booking here either so yeah it was a match and then we had nosawa rangai and kotaro suzuki of paris del mal uh defeat yoshinari ogawa and yasutaku takuyano in 642 uh with the excalibur from suzuki on yano uh this was good it was short you know again you know nothing to write home about it was simply just to set up uh, Nasawa and, and Suzuki as the next challengers uh, for the GC Junior Tag Titles later on in the show. Um, yeah, uh, definitely was a good setup for that. Uh, uh, there was also some missing communication between Suzuki and Nasawa, so it will be interesting if that comes into play after the Junior Title match as well, or if that's just literally Nasawa at this point just trolling people with just constant teasing of uh, tension between juniors um but nevertheless it is kind of it was interesting to see and we'll see if that kind of leads to something more down the line like i don't expect like a full breakup of los paris de mal to happen because we also had uh on the end innovation show uh last week we also had uh Eta teasing a new member to uh, los, uh for los paris so that would be very weird if they're kind of teasing bringing in someone new uh for the faction and then break them up. So it, I could maybe see Suzuki breaking off from the faction, but uh, I don't think it's going to be like a full-scale breakup of the faction. 
and then yeah i think it it was um i think that it's trolling i just have this feeling about it um yeah. so and then before that we had uh it's actually no sorry just real quick uh like who do you think it is actually that ata was like teasing to bring in because he did mention that it is someone that uh was also a member of los paris de mal uh, back in of the original one back in mexico so like when i saw that like there's one person that immediately came to my mind and that's daga because he was a member of Los Paras in uh, Mexico. And he is also someone that is obviously willing to come to Japan because, and he was in RED. Uh, he was together with Ada, like they were both in RED in Dragon Gate. So like they clearly like they know each other. So I think to me, that was like immediately the person that came to my mind for that. Yeah, I, that would be my uh, top guess. Uh, basically, I, you know, I don't know who else would pop in. Like, it's not going to be like, Taya Valkyrie or something like <laughs> that. That, you know. that. That would be that would be very interesting. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I think Daga would be, be your best uh, candidate for that. Um, although I guess what because you know is he what like is he working regularly in Mexico? I haven't even no, heard his name in a he, while. Yeah, like I looked at his cage match and he hasn't really had like many met like yet don't think he had any matches in 2021 if i saw correctly so i don't know if he was injured or if there was something else so yeah i'm curious what what's going on with him there um or if he's just working like super low level indies that don't get picked up by cage match so that might be something as well i mean hey it might also be uh uh, uh pentagon jr it probably is not. It it, it is to ninety nine point nine 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 percent not going to be Pentagon Junior, but he was a member of Los Paras de Mal, so you know. Uh, I don't know who it was because I'm not like a regular Triple A watcher, but someone in a lumberjack in the lumberjack match on um, the Ray de Reyes show was wearing a Paras de Mal de Japon shirt. I actually haven't watched that one. Okay, so maybe so it's that a, it's might like be a, a little bit of a giveaway. <laughs> it's a chubbier guy. I don't know who it was. Not Nino you know, Hamburguesa, but um, not your leader. Maybe I don't know. I, I don't know. Still I, working AAA leader. Leader in Noah would be tremendous. That would be just yeah. Just well, this person's not. This person's not a junior. I can tell you. That. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, leader is neither. So <laughs> yeah. Who knows? Who knows who it is? So. Um, and then, so the match before that, we had uh, uh, Niho defeat Kenya Okada in 9:58 with the Stuka Splash. I mean, this is a solid match, just inexplicable booking. I, yeah. I don't know. Uh, Neo, I, I, I know some people don't like him. I have always had a soft spot for him since he was Hiroki, aka High 69, in the K Dojo days. Um, you know, but just shouldn't be beating. Um, Kenya Okada, like someone like Neo is some the kind of guy that you start putting Kenya Okada over at first to start building him up. So it was just again inexplicable booking to me. And yeah, I mean, doing the all Japan portion, I talked about kind of Dan Tamura still being kind of in his lower spot, and we talked about him kind of being left behind by his contemporaries a little bit. Uh, and I was like, well, he's still going to be fine because he's only 22. Uh, whereas Kenya Okada is not. 22 like he is 28 years old and i think this has been a consistent point across all three episodes that we've been hammering home where we're like 
you can still build up Okada, but you have to start doing it now. And there's just literally zero indication that Noah has any interest of doing that, especially if he's still out here, like losing singles matches to Neo. And again, if you want to give Neo a singles win, that's fine. But like, there's other people that you can use for that. Like, you can use Yano for that, for example, or you can use like any of the other of the other kind of uh, young boys that you have. You can still feed them to Neo, and it doesn't have to be uh, Okada. So yeah, I'm really yeah. We'll see. Like, there's still a lot of months left in the year, but there's just to me there's zero indication that they have any interest of doing something with this guy yeah and uh, that's a big problem i think because i think he's got a lot of potential he's a little on the smaller side but that's less of an issue in the no heavyweight scene and it just would be really a freshing a freshening of things up for both him and inamur to start climbing up the card i think and on the opening match of the show the funky express explodes we had King Tani and Mohamed Yone defeated Akatoshi Saito and uh, Masao Masa Inoue in 1158. I mean, there's not much to say here except for it's not as bad. It's it's not that bad. It was probably better than you think it was going to be going into this match is what I'll say, basically. Yeah, I mean, it was a Funky Express match. They, they, they are always fun. Like, I, I enjoyed a Funky Express. That was fun old that was fun old people that dress up uh, that it's basically like the funk dress up at, at like an over 40s party where it's like funk night and everyone kind of dresses up in weird costumes and just goes out and has a lot of uh has a lot of fun and that's basically that but as a wrestling match so uh i i enjoyed the match and i think it was just a bunch of harmless fun Oh, for sure. I mean, I think the comedy match has come a long way from the days of like uh, Russia Kimura and uh, Haruka Eigen doing spit spots. <laughs> so, you know. I can't do that during Corona. Are, so. No, you can't do that during Corona. But I mean, these are these are better matches than those ones that were in all Japan in the 90s and the early years of Noah, for sure. Uh, so that is basically everything controversial or not coming out of pro wrestling noah uh will have another episode before their march 13th show at yokohama budokan where they are um gonna have a four-team tournament for the ghc tag titles um i would assume that uh you know it's probably going to be um segura and hideki winning those tag titles uh maybe marafuji and Mo mochizuki when they face Kaito Kiyomiya and Deki and Alba in the first round. But uh, I think the winners of that tournament are going to be older, all above 40. Yeah, I mean, I, I think definitely whoever wins between like Congo and Seguragon, like that's also ultimately going to be the team that wins the whole tournament. And yeah, it is just more likely for it to be Hideki and Segura uh, because, yeah, you give something uh, for Hideki to do. Uh, coming back into the promotion. So uh, it just makes too much sense for it to be that team. In, in some ways, you know, and I think Hideki is a tremendous professional wrestler in the ring, but the Hideki not putting over younger talent is somewhat less of an issue when he's the tag champ. Because, you know, Segura can always take the fall or something like that, right? Um, yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, that's also the other thing. It's like... Uh, I mean, to be fair, I mean, all four of the teams 
uh, in the tournament have a very clearly designated or have a guy that would be very clearly the guy that takes the pin right. uh, in matches. So uh, that's why it could reasonably be all four teams, but it's just like, yeah, Hideki being in there just makes it very likely that uh, it's going to be him winning. Uh, do you have any overarching final thoughts on Noah after today? Because I think a lot of people do. Yeah, I mean, it, it is definitely, uh, there's so much good stuff in this promotion, but yeah, it was a bit of a gut punch just at the top of the card at the moment. I mean, as I said, I am going to enjoy Fujita versus Tanaka, and I'm going to have to see who he faces afterwards. And it's, I think it's definitely still a lot enough good stuff to for Noah to enjoy in, in the short term, but it's just that I worry about the long term with this promotion, and that's just always something that will kind of, hang over it as well but yeah i think for no i i it just has to become a promotion where we'll just have to enjoy what happens in the moment and i just have to like actively block out like long-term repercussions of what happens in the promotion yeah i mean i don't think this is good uh you know i'm gonna put on my old man hat here for a second and say you know these ironic Nokia. <laughs> bother me more than they should <laughs> just because you know i lived through that you know um the the inoki era in new japan you know i was only like 18 or 19 years old you know and i've only been watching japanese wrestling for a few years at that point but it's abundantly clear what happened and what it did to the promotion and you know and everything real time like you can go back now and watch you know the show like uh friend of the show and inspiration of the show john carroll uh chatting with them made some good points if you go back and watch like stuff from that era there's still plenty of good stuff from that era and like it ha looks great because new japan despite probably losing a lot of money and declining business was still using very like high production values for the time and everything like that so if you sort of view it in a vacuum like that it doesn't look as bad as i think some people hyped it up but it really wasn't great and it really almost helped to kill like japan's you know major largest promotion and i mean if new japan had gone under and with noah turning out the way it would by the later half of the the aughts i mean things could have gotten really bad mm -hmm. in, in the japanese wrestling scene and so. also the people that bring up that like fujita was like as like a thing for why Fujita should be champion is because he was pride champion. The reason Fujita was pride champion, not that he was a bad fighter overall, but the reason he was champion was because uh, Ken Shamrock thought he had a heart attack because he was beating Fujita's ass so hard. Like that's how Fujita became champion. So like, let's not kind of like, like make false statements about what actually happened in that match and how that went down. So yeah. And basically I was, some of the critiques I was looking is that like he got the iron head name moniker for a legitimate reason he was really tough to knock out but and i watched some of his matches back then too although i'm i was never like a big mma guy or expert but the pride stuff you couldn't like not watch because it was such a spectacle but basically any decent striker was going to be able to neutralize him you know so he wasn't this sort of yeah. all-time mma guy by any yeah. means he got he is legitimately tough like and that that definitely helps his matches because he is legitimately a tough guy like he could beat pretty much everyone's ass that is like that he faces in the ring. Like that's uh, that's not a question, but it's also not like he was like an MMA superstar at the same time either. Yeah, or like exactly. a top level MMA well, fighter. I guess in Japan he was, but yeah, but he wasn't like never like he was 
yeah, probably his star power might have been bigger than his actual like fighting ability. Like he was a solid sure. maker. He was For a sure. solid fighter. Like he he I think he has 18 wins and 11 losses. So yeah. I mean that's not a bad record, but not. No, it's like not a, a bad world, record, world but it's also record. not. Yeah, exactly. Like it, like he's not like he's not Anderson Silva. Like he's not uh, like Fedor. Like he's not on the level of those guys. Yeah, and when talking about sort of this era, I, whenever I, I point to it, I always tell people, look, if you don't think Eugene Nagata is his biggest star as he should have been, well, you know, this, that was the exact Inoki Inokiism is the reason why Eugene Nagata was never as big a star as he could have been. Is what I always like to say. You know, I think that's pretty clear. And um, since we we had to record this episode in in different chunks, a little, I guess, breaking news out of all Japan, nothing major. But on March 12th in Cork and Hall, there's an All-Asia title match, and it will be the team of Abdullah Kobayashi and Dan Tamara versus <laughs> Hokuto Omori and Yusuke Okama, uh, Kodama. Sorry, uh, Paul, any thoughts on that one? That is the absolute fire pro ran most fire pro random team I've ever seen. <laughs> Abdullah Kobayashi and Dan Temer. Did you see Suvama tweet out what's this like with him watching uh, the press conference with Abdullah and Tamura uh, yes, afterwards? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's hilarious. I mean, I, I'm actually really going to. I'm really looking forward to that match because that's just that's just such a bizarre team. I love it. Yeah, I mean. It's the All-Asia Tag Titles. It doesn't have to make sense, right? I mean, they only teamed once before, and they... Yeah, they won, maybe? Or did they lose that match against... Uh... No, they lost the match. They won... No, they beat uh, Kento and Hayato, I think it was. Oh, yeah, you can always beat Hayato. So, Oh, yeah, that was in the lead-up to the title match. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, so... <laughs> I mean, I guess, hey, look, it was properly built up. It's, it's, guess, it's a team yeah. that's been getting wins. So. <laughs> Still the most random team I've ever seen. <laughs> For sure. I, I would assume Tamara has taken a fall from Hokuto on that one. It's definitely one of those teams where, like, what are they talking about backstage? Or what are they talking about, like, in a car driving to a show? Like, what do Abdullah Kobayashi and Dan Tamara talk about? Well, I, I mean, know that. Dan grows rice. And Abdullah loves eating rice. Yeah, so, so yeah. <laughs> that, but it is like Abdullah likes eating. I mean, did you see also Abdullah? Like, I, I think he lost a few pounds in the lead up to this match. But this morning he posted like this in very large McDonald's order that he made. <laughs> I'm actually going to be curious what uh, what Hokuto and Kodama are going to do with Abdullah because Kento was able to lift him up. I don't think either of those no. guys is able to do that. That's going to be really curious what happens there. <laughs> Anyway, so that's sort of the update um, from All Japan since we recorded uh, a few hours, the first part of the show a few hours ago. And so uh, next episode, we will probably be doing a big, much bigger preview because we will be going into All Japan's uh, Dream Power series and we'll be looking into the uh, NOAA like probably have a full card for the Noah Yokohama Budokan show. And maybe, you know, with some more time, then we can take some more listener questions because this week we just had so much to cover. And so uh, for uh, Paul Vosh, I'm Gerard DeTroyo, and we'll see you in two weeks. <laughs>